Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Today's topic, understanding our need for the gospel. If you're like me, as a Christian, you desire to share the gospel with others. And so I ask this question to myself and I ask a question to others. What, what is the gospel? But when I start thinking about what is the gospel, I understand that people often get confused about what the gospel is by saying how they think people should respond to it. They may such things as, well, it's asking Jesus to come into your heart or believing that Jesus died for you and and, uh, accepting him or saying the sinner's prayer. But none of those things define the gospel. And in fact, they do not actually define even a Christian. They can be possible ways in which we might confess our faith in the gospel. But in reality, the gospel is a, is a message. It is a message of good news. Now, it's a good news about a particular person who did particular actions on behalf of people, and they must come to understand and believe in him in order to be recipients of this good news. But you see, we first of all must have an understanding of our need for the gospel if we're going to believe the gospel. So here's my question. What are certain things that a person must come to believe or at least have some kind of understanding of before they're ready to actually receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are the conditions of their mind or their heart that's necessary for them to be the recipients, a faith recipients of the message of salvation, the message of the cross? I think the scripture has the answer to that. I think a place to begin would be Hebrews in chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 11. This is what it says in Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith... It is impossible to be well-pleasing to God. For he who comes to God must believe that he, that is, God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So so the very first necessary understanding or belief is that a person must believe that God is, that God is a unique being, the most unique being in the universe, And this God is personal. This God is the creator. This God is holy and just. And he's also a God who is caring, a God who has revealed himself. Now, we begin with the rudimentary understanding that God is. Now, we may build on that in our discussion, but there must be this belief that there is a personal God who created me, who created the world, to whom I am accountable. And this God is holy and righteous. There's something very unique, uh, otherness about him than what we are. Now, I must believe this God is someone who cares and can do something on my behalf. Because if I don't believe that, how can I receive the good news? 
So the book of Hebrews also goes on to define for us in Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3, where the message about God really begins. This is what the author says. Although God spoke long ago in many parts and in many ways to the fathers by the prophets. So he's talking about the the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament revelation of God to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Isaiah. Although God spoke long ago in many parts and in many ways to the fathers by the prophets, in these last days he's spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world who is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence sustaining all things by the word of power. And when he had made purification for sins through him, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this is a lot to take in, but it's saying this, that God has revealed himself and he's done so in history. He did it piecemeal over a long period of time to the prophets of old. And, and that word, that revelation, was given in the form of promises. And promises that were acted out in promises that were given in ritual, promises that were given in law, promises that were given in the covenants of old. So we must believe this, that God has done something. But then we have this other question, why does man need God's intervention? Why why does man need saving? We talk about being saved. Uh, We talk about receiving the good news of salvation, of deliverance, of rescue. Well, a proper question that people have is, why do I need to be saved? Why do I need this God to rescue me, this God to intervene on my behalf? Well, if I believe in a personal God who is holy and who's righteous, who is the standard of what is acceptable and non-acceptable, and then when I look at man, when I look at myself, I know that man is out of sync with such a God. For man is not holy. Man commits all manner of sin in word and in deed, actions and lack of actions, in unbelief and in behavior. And we have offended God. And in offending a holy God, we cannot be accepted by him unless he is willing to accept us. And if he's a holy and just God, his justice and holiness must be satisfied in order for him to receive us unto himself. So the good news, you see, is grounded in the fact that God is and that man is out of sync with God because he's a rebel against God who is a sinner. Now, the Bible describes this about man in many places, You can read Romans chapter 3, but I want to refer you to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He's writing to Christians, but he talks about what they were before they came to faith in Christ. He says, you were made alive. To a Christian, someone who's been made spiritually alive. Now, to be made alive presupposes that you're dead. You were made alive when you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, how is that evidence? Well, he goes on, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. That's the devil. That is the evil powers in the universe that is opposed to the holy God. You once walked according to their way, to their will. You were in league with them. You were a sinner, dead 
in transgressions and sins, you are child of disobedience, spiritually dead. We also, he writes, writing to Christians, also once lived among them in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We have to understand that man in his natural state, before he comes to believe in God and accept God's salvation, must believe something very tragic about himself. He must believe that he is spiritually dead, that he's out of sync with God, that he is a disobedient person who is deserving of God's judgment and God's wrath. He must understand he's in darkness before he can come to the light. He must understand that he has no ability and power to change his situation. He cannot save himself. God must intervene if he is to be rescued. So man must believe something about himself. You see, there's a belief you have to have about God and a belief you have to have about man. But there's also another belief you have to have. You have to have a belief that this God who is a holy and righteous and just God, did intervene in time and space history and revealed himself. Uniquely, he did this in the life of the nation of Israel. We have it beginning with Moses, who tells us about the patriarchs of old, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God reveals himself to this people and through his prophets and through those he appoints It's what we call the First Testament or the Old Testament that contains the Old Covenant and all the other preceding covenants, God's intervention, action on behalf of people, getting them ready for his decisive intervention in the person of his unique son, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah of God. You see, you must come to believe that this God intervened, and he intervened uniquely in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And God is given the true revelation of himself in this Jesus of Nazareth, born of Mary, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is uniquely related to God because he bears the nature of God as well as the nature of humanity. Now, unless you can believe in this unique person of Jesus, you cannot call upon him to save you. Now, I didn't say you have to have all the creedal understanding of him, but you have to have at least some rudimentary understanding that he's not just an ordinary flesh and blood man. He is that, but he's not the ordinary one. He is the sinless, holy, righteous son of God. You must believe in him. And you must believe not only in the uniqueness of his person, you must believe in his divine actions, that what he did, that how he died, and what happened to him, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his being alive, is necessary for you to put your faith in him. For if Christ is dead, then he cannot be a savior. If Jesus Christ is dead and died under the wrath of God on the cross, then he didn't bear anybody's sin but his own. No, he is alive. The Christian faith 
is based on the intervention of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's all proven by his resurrection from the dead. So, we have this words from Jesus himself. He says to Nicodemus, a religious leader in his day who came to him by night and asked him, how can he know God? He told him, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended out of heaven, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. He's speaking about himself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he loved the world in this manner, and to this degree that he gave his one and only Son, his unique Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who doesn't believe has been judged or condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And to us, to Christians who have believed this message, God has committed the word of reconciliation. He's committed to us the message of the gospel. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and following. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry? That is, that in Christ, in the Messiah, Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, that is, of sinful people like you and me. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, Certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin. That's Jesus of Nazareth. He made him who did not sin, the sinless Son of God, to be reckoned, to be sinned for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. These are necessary understandings for someone to come to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ with living faith. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. The next time, ponder on this truth. What is the gospel? And what do I need to believe to receive the message?